As you know, we're making our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, and um, next week we're going to jump ahead to the pivotal chapter. If you're going to study um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you got to know, you got to go to 1 Corinthians 15. And so that'll be Easter next weekend, and I'm, I'm just imploring you to please invite your friends to our Good Friday service and next weekend on Saturday and Sunday as we celebrate Easter, and we'll look at 1 Corinthians 15 then. But as you know, we're, we're going through 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 4 this week, so if you have your Bibles, turn to, to chapter 4. What I want to do is I want to read this chapter, and then I want to pray for us, and then I'm going to ask John M. want to come up here and teach this passage to us. I think, I know you're going to be uh, really encouraged. Just by way of reminder, I like for each of the books of the Bible, I like just to to, to title each book with just a word and then a short outline, and it helps me to recall what each book's about. And the key word for, for 1 Corinthians is just simply correction. It is a correction of sorts to the church at Corinth. You're reading a letter from Paul, which has a specific historical, theological, cultural context, and he's writing, and he's addressing the divisions that go on within the church in those first few, four chapters there, one through four, and then he addresses the, what I'd call the disorders of the church, of sexual immorality and lawsuits among, amongst believers, and then many of the difficulties around spiritual gifts and um, the role of women in the church and the timing and the significance of the resurrection, amongst other things. But we're, we're picking up in chapter four, and I want to read this whole chapter, and uh, you're going to see that, that Paul has some, there's some uh, sarcasm in his tone, but um, but it's a very direct passage in dealing with uh, just the conflict going on in his day and the criticism he and the apostles are receiving where people are dismissing their ministry and their message. And so he addresses that. Let's look at chapter four. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself. But I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then... Each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already, you have all you want. Already, you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. You can sense the sarcasm. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. 
You were held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but of their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, with love and a spirit of gentleness? Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, it is good to gather with the body of Christ and to sing. Not just beautiful melodies, Lord, but the truths of scripture that we know how the story ends. And we know how the story ends because of Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, who entered into our world, born of a virgin, without sin, lived a perfect life, entered triumphantly into Jerusalem to declare peace that only he can provide, that this world could never provide on its own. And we all sang, Hosanna, Hosanna, only later to turn and to betray you. But Father, we, we marvel at your mercy and your grace that this didn't just happen randomly, but was foretold before the ages of time, Ephesians 1 tells us, all according to your plan. And three days later, Jesus rose again, defeating sin and death. And because of that, we have hope. And because of that, we sing. Lord, there was much that divided the Corinthian church. There was conflict and division. And Lord, I know there's much that in every church and community groups and homes that works to divide us. But by your spirit, by your grace, and by your mercy, I pray, Lord, that those things which are much greater that unite us, I pray, Lord, that you would unite our hearts around the centrality of the gospel and the resurrection message. Father, I thank you for men like John Elmore, um, who's not only just a gifted teacher, but who lives what he says he believes, and because of that, I'm blessed. And so, Lord, would you just speak through him this morning? Would you prepare our hearts? Would you help us, Lord, to be attuned to what it is you want us to apply to our lives, that we would hear much more than just a talk, but a message from you, that you'd help us to lay aside distraction. We pray all these things by the power of your spirit and in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Good to be with you all. Hey, just to start out, I wanna tell you that for the last two weeks, I have been like suffering and enduring intense persecution. 
I've been on campouts, YMCA campouts with kindergartners and second graders. Uh, and I didn't know if I was going to make it, but here I am today. On the campout with my kindergartner, it was like a father-daughter one that's with Penny and then with Hill, the second graders. But on the father-daughter one with the kindergartners, we, go, we were at Possum Kingdom at the YMCA camp out there, which is a really funny name for a place. Like if, you're, if you have a lake and you're trying to sell homes, like I don't know what marketer was like, let's call it Possum Kingdom, the place where all the possums reign. It's like, was Skunk Holler, was that taken? Like why, did, why that? But we, we, go, we go to Possum Kingdom and at Possum Kingdom, there's an island, it's called Devil's Island. And so we load up in these pontoon boats and we go across to Devil's Island, all the dads and their daughters, and we get there and it's this big like bluff that you hike up. It sounds dangerous, it wasn't. Uh, and as we walk like 30 yards up this island mountain thing, I see a little boy. And it's like daughters all around and here's this six-year-old kid. And he's just like got a stick kind of scratching the rocks and the dirt. And I, I walk up to him and I'm like, because we get there we're just on the trail, I'm like, wait, like he, no one's there. Like he's just a little, a little boy. I'm like, Where's his dad? Maybe his dad like went to use the restroom or something? Like what's going on? And we're sitting there watching and we're waiting for the other dads and daughters to come and I'm like, I don't think that kid has a dad here with him. So I go and I, I get down beside him. I'm like, hey buddy. And he doesn't even look up. He's like, hey. Just like shaky voice. I'm like, are you here with your daddy? Is your daddy here? He's like, no. I was like, okay. Hey, I'm a daddy too. This is my, this is my daughter. This is Penny. And... Um, we're, we're here to hike, and I tell you what, I'm not gonna leave you until we find your daddy, okay? Like, I'm gonna stay right here, and, and you're safe with me, and this is okay. Hey, what, what's your name? And he shared it. I said, okay, what's your, what's your daddy's name? He shared it. I said, do you know his phone number by any chance? He's like, yeah, two. I was like, 214? He's like, yeah, six, eight. And he shares the number. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna call your daddy right now. Hang on, hang on. Yeah, hi, this is John Elmore. I'm on Devil's Island. I have your son. <laughs> I need you to come with 1,000 unmarked bills and a black duffel bag or you'll never see him again. <laughs> Last week, T.A. talked about the movie Taken and I just like straight up put someone through a real life Taken version. <laughs> The person on the other end of the phone goes, bro, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like someone's in counseling right now because they're like, and then the guy called and said he had my son. They're like, honey, check for Junior in the backyard. Someone's got him on Devil's Island. <laughs> I mean, it was like so horrible. So I was like, okay, hey bud, that wasn't your daddy. <laughs> Do you know my, your mom's number? And he shared some number and it went to voicemail. I'm like, I don't have the heart to tell the mom because the mom is either going to freak out like, and, or that husband's never going to hear the end of it. Like, you lost our child on Devil's Island. I was like, I'm just going to let that go to voicemail. I was like, I'll tell you what. Hey, why don't you come with us? Um, I've got a bottle of water. Are you, are you thirsty? He's like, yeah. I'm like, here you go. Have some water. He goes, it's okay. I've had my shots. I even had a booster. <laughs> Okay, he literally just like. I mean, he might well have crushed it on his forehead and slammed it down. I was like, 
that's the only water that me and my daughter had for like the, the whole time here at Devil's Island, but okay. And at that point, my whole, well, not my whole afternoon, but the next 30 minutes, like what I was hoping to do and wanting to do is like hold hands with my daughter, go on this hike, have special time. I'm like, I'm now spending more time with this little boy than I am my own daughter. Like she's run off ahead with her friends and I'm talking to him about who his favorite character is on Paw Patrol, trying to make him forget that he's separated from his dad. And uh, I think it's what we do every day. I think every single day we're walking by lost people that don't have their father. They're sitting lost and, a, and I think most often we're just walking right by them like, well, that person looks sad. They're kind of strange. Why are they so angry? What's their problem? And we walk past versus being interruptible by the Lord that has providentially placed us right in the path of that lost individual separated from the Father. And so today, as we read in 1 Corinthians 4, I want to lead us in a time of what it looks like to order your life, your entire being, for the purpose of God to reach the lost. So last week, this is what T.A. taught about, with Easter coming, to make invitations, to reach the lost among you, even unto the nations, that all people would come to be reconciled to the Father through the Son, as he taught from 2 Corinthians 5, that we are ambassadors on behalf of Christ. He sent us to seek and save the lost. But the question is, will we have a wasted life by playing it safe? Or will we live for the purposes of Christ through the plot twists of Christ in the power of Christ? Which is the three things we will talk about in 1 Corinthians 4. Living for the purpose of Christ by the plot twists of Christ in the power of Christ. So let's begin. Living for the purpose of Christ. This is 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. What are the mysteries of God? The mysteries of God are the scriptures revealed in the person of Christ. That Jesus came to save sinners, to reconcile them to the Father. That all of the truths of God revealed now, they're stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of the stewards that they be found faithful. Later in verse 16, because that's, that's Paul, talking about he and Apollos, hey, we're servants of Christ, we're faithful stewards. But then in verse 16, he's gonna say, and I urge you, be imitators of me. So Paul's saying, this is my job description. I'm a servant of Christ, faithful steward. And actually, it's your job description too. That you are to imitate me as I follow Christ. And so this is our focus. Your sole focus is soul Focus. Your sole focus in life is the souls of others. That's why the Lord has you where he has you. In case you're like, nah, actually my sole focus is stay-at-home mom. My sole focus is my business career. My sole focus is getting into college. My sole focus is like making good grades and getting the team and getting the girl. That's, that's my sole focus. The Lord's like, no, your sole focus is the soul of others that you would focus on them because there's lost children all around that they'd be reconciled to the Father. Because right now they're children of wrath and he's like, no, I need you to make them children of the Father through the Son. I was at a restaurant recently with friends. This is amazing. I'm sure you've been to a restaurant sometimes where you're like, how's the Caprese salad? And they're like, ah, best you've ever had. Okay. 
How's the Caesar? Does it have too much anchovy? No, we have the best Caesar in town. Okay. How's the pizza? Our crust is the best. And at this point in time, listening to the witches, I'm like, I actually don't believe anything you say. You're trying to like upsell me everything. Like what's good and bad? I'm trying to navigate this. So recently at this restaurant, we had this waitress, Stephanie, who was amazing. <laughs> Someone goes, hey, uh, how's the chicken fried steak? She goes, well, it used to be terrible. They had frozen patties and they just thaw them out and cook them. But now they actually make them fresh. So it was bad, now it's actually okay. <laughs> it's like, I like you. The second one was like, someone was like, Pontchartrain sauce? What is, what is Pontchartrain sauce? And I try to be smart, I'm, I'd already Googled it. I'm like, you know, it's like, it's like butter and some salt and garlic. And she's like, no, it's not. There's this kind of sweet and it's made with whipped cream. People are like, oh, I don't, thank you. I, don't, I won't have that. I'm like, how's the uh, shrimp-tastic? <laughs> She's like, it's actually all right, it's pretty good. I'm like, okay, that's the first positive thing you've said, so I'll go with shrimp-tastic. If you're ever in Galveston, it's shrimp average. I would not try the shrimp-tastic. <laughs> Stephanie was a faithful steward. She was a server, servant of Christ, and she was a faithful steward. She wasn't just telling us what we wanted to hear. She wasn't just trying to sling dishes. She actually had our best interest in mind. She's like, well, you came here to eat and you probably wanna eat something good that's nourishing that you're gonna enjoy. And so I'm gonna tell you how it is. And they used to freeze those patties and like thaw them out. They're not good anymore, but now they are. And she would tell us how it is. Paul says, we are to be servers and faithful stewards, not just stewards, but faithful stewards, telling the good and the bad to this world. Meaning we share, hey, there's sin. These things are gonna lead to death in your life. You should not eat that, live that, do that, drink that because there's so much good in Christ and he will forgive you of your sins to tell them the hope that you would be a faithful steward of the mysteries of God. That menu was a mystery to me. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what to do. And she's like navigated us through it. That's what our role is. We're to be Stephanie to the world. A faithful steward showing the things of God. A steward, it's oikonomos in the Greek. In the ancient Near East, an oikonomos or a steward was someone that, uh, someone who had dominion, a house, a business, whatever it was, they would place a steward over that thing to do the bills, to take care of the servants, to make sure everyone was fed. Even the children were fed. He had the authority over all the household on behalf of the sovereign to care for everything. And here the Lord says, you are that. You're that steward. But moreover, it is important that they be found faithful. Can you imagine if we walk into the restaurant and Stephanie's just got her heels kicked up on the table eating her own shrimp-tastic and is like, figure it out. I already got a meal. You guys deal with it. Instead, she came to serve and steward. That's by sharing with Christ. And I think right now, like, you have such an opportunity because it's Good Friday and Easter and we still live in a quasi-culturally Christian nation where it's not super out of bounds to be like, hey, would you wanna join me for Easter? Do you have any plans for that? Like, that's normal still in America today. It wouldn't be like super unexpected to be like, hey, I don't know if you have plans for Easter, like Christmas and Easter. These are things that people will still be open to invitations for and you can invite them so easily to be a servant of Christ and faithful steward. Or to say like, hey, at noon on Friday, I'm actually going over to my church. They have a good Friday service. Would you wanna come with me? It's great, you should join me. 
There's an easy opportunity there to share Christ. You're living for the purpose of Christ. But also, in order to share Christ, you must fear Christ alone. You can't fear others. So in 1 Corinthians 4 also, Paul says, it's a very small thing to me that I be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does therefore not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. And in case you're like, that's a weird verse. Why do you have that memorized? Why why out of scriptures would you pick that one? Because I'm a chronic people pleaser. In my flesh, that's what I want. I want you to like me. I remember it starting really in like eighth grade in a bad way where I felt so insecure that I'm like, dude, I will be a chameleon to whatever people for them to like me because I don't want to be alone or alienated or the weird kid. Like I just want to be in. And so I just figured out I can be who you want me to be for you to like me and then I'll feel included. And so I memorized that verse because I needed it desperately. And here in this context, Paul's saying spiritually speaking, because he just said, servant of Christ, faithful steward. And then he said, and I don't actually care what you think. I don't care what a human court thinks. I don't even care what I think. I care what God thinks. Freeing himself up by fearing Christ alone and no longer fearing others. Because fearing can lead to freezing. Fearing others can lead to freezing up instead of faithfully stewarding. I, uh, it's a person I love dearly that I had, I had been around so much but often hadn't shared fully about Christ. And so at one point I was like, all right, enough. And I wrote this. All that being said, I need to ask your forgiveness. Will you please forgive me for every time I've tiptoed around spiritual conversations with you. I love you too much to have ever done so because you're so dear to me. And you've known me for over seven years now and you know my deep love for you and that I'm not crazy. I would ever speak with ill intent or disrespect. A doctor wouldn't mince words about someone with heart disease that was dying and yet I am afraid I have done that with you. I've minced words and not wanted to be off-putting to you but out of love and concern I must now speak for I believe, spiritually speaking, you have heart disease and thus I have grave concern for your eternity and went on to share six pages of of the gospel. And not just like, hey, if you trust in Jesus, you'll go to heaven, but also, and if you don't, then hell forever awaits you. I'm gonna be a faithful steward. I'm gonna tell you about the bad and about the good so that you can make an informed decision about how to be reconciled to the Father. But, But because of my fear of what they would think of me, it froze me up. And so we've got to push through that by fearing Christ alone. If that's a struggle of yours, I want to recommend this to you, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Tim Keller. And Keller like, takes it a little more broadly than just from spiritual conversations, but the totality of life. Like, hey, in your work and how you do and what you look like and your achievements and accomplishments, like, quit caring what others think or what you think. Care alone what God thinks. Let that be what moves you because our motives can really mess us up. As it says in the following verse, before the Lord comes, the second coming of Christ, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. There it is, the motive, the purposes of the heart. Then each will receive his commendation from God. I wanna show you these, these are um, Christian things that we do, right? Like praying. How could praying be bad? Praying's a great thing. 
what would ever be wrong with praying? Except that it says at the Lord's coming that the light will reveal the purposes or motives of the heart and then each will receive his condemnation. So at the coming of Christ, praying, well, maybe it's this, to impress others, which is what Jesus condemned the Pharisees for, like, man, you're just dropping those big words to impress others. I see what you're doing there. Just trying to sound great. What's your motive in that? Is it prayer? Or is that some religious act that we would think more of you? Here's another one, it's, it's giving. And like, how could giving to a church or a, or a ministry or to missions, like how in the world could that be bad? But Christ will reveal the motives of the heart and sometimes we give to get rich. It's called the prosperity gospel. And here's what it sounds like. Nobody's gonna be like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, here's the prosperity gospel. Everybody pull your wallet out. That's not how it goes. God wants more for you. He has more for you in your life. He desires greatness and hope and joy. And so if you give today, if you give, then he is going to give to you. And if you give that seed money just a little bit to show your faith, then he's gonna pour it out to you, pressed down, shaken, overflowing, and you will receive blessings as you take that step in faith. And they are charlatans, spiritual charlatans, spiritual lottery that we're guilty of if we give to them just as they are guilty of by giving that that gospel. God has not promised us to make us rich, but rather to be rich in good deeds. It says he gives seed to the sower, not to be rich, but so that they can be generous on every occasion. But sometimes we give in hopes that we just might get more, and God's like, you're missing it, and the light will reveal it on the last day. And here's this last one, going to church. Well, how could that be wrong? That's great, going to church. This, this is the one I struggle with a lot, because sometimes, and Christ knows, he already sees it, but it'll be revealed on the last day because you're supposed to. I mean, what am I gonna do? I'm a pastor for crying out loud. So if I have a hard week, or a kid's sick, or I'm not feeling 100%, it's really tempting to be like, you know what, I can stream. And I don't worship at home. I don't have my hands raised, singing my guts out when I'm looking at a laptop with a kid fussing, asking me for a Pop-Tart. But that's what I'm wrestling with. John, you're supposed to. Versus the heart being like, Lord, I wanna go worship with your people, I wanna be fed by the word. I want to go be reminded of the purposes of Christ. And then there's this one. You're like, oh, that's, that's the wrong poster board. You dropped that one on the floor. That one's blank. It's blank for a reason. Because you remember the inaction of the letter that I read? Because I've been concerned about what you might think of me. This is blank because I think the motives of the heart is fear and selfishness. And that's why it's blank all the things we don't do because we're more concerned about what they might think of us or I'm just selfish with my time. I don't wanna engage in it. You know what, I've got other things I plan to do. And so our inaction, it says in James, if you, knew the good you, if you know the good you ought to do and you do not do it, for you it is sin. So there's sins of commission, sinning by doing something, and there's sin of omission, which means sinning by not moving into the good works, not being a faithful steward. One day it'll be laid bare. Giving Christ all the glory. So living for the purpose of Christ means that he gets all the glory. We're not out there being glory thieves like the Pharisees or, or thumping our chest or making all these things, but rather all the glory goes to him. 
1 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go by what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor against one another, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? He's like, again, to James, he's like, everything you have is from God. Every good and perfect gift coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Everything you have is good. And so what in the world are you doing boasting about it? You didn't do it. I say to my kids, like often I'll be like, Penny, baby, you are beautiful. You know what the most beautiful part of you? She's like, my insides. I'm like, that's right. I said, but you're, you're really pretty. Who made you pretty? She's like, Jesus did. Like I want her to know if she's ever looking in the mirror and is like, huh, wow. It's like, that's Jesus. Or I'll tell Hill, Hill, God's given you a good mind. You're smart, buddy. Who made you smart? Jesus. Like don't you ever forget. But we as adults start to think like, well, I mean, I got the job, I'm, I'm the one that worked hard. I saved the money. I made the wise investment and flipped it. I, inv I invested in whatever X, Y, and Z to get this. I'm the one, I'm the one. He's like, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, why are you boasting as though you didn't? But we compare ourselves to each other. We're sizing each other up like, got more than him, look better than her, skinnier than her. I got the guy. I got into that college. This is on my resume. Look where I live. Look what I drive. And we're sizing each other. We're comparing ourselves to each other. Comparison. This is the problem. Social media is toxic in this regard. Comparison. Comparison. Compare is sin. Compare is sin. I was looking at the word one day. I was like, oh my goodness. The Lord has it right there for all of us. Every time we do it, to know that it's sin. If you wanna compare yourself to someone, you compare yourself to Jesus and be like, I wanna be more like you. Period, end of story, full stop. Live for the purpose of Christ. And if you live for the purpose of Christ, then your life will be full of plot twists. Your life is gonna be full of plot twists. Here it is, 1 Corinthians 4, 8 through 13. Now he is, <laughs> Paul, man, Paul gets spicy. He is mocking them right here. Already you've got all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings and would that you did reign. So he's saying you don't reign, you just think you do. You think you're on top of the world, got the tiger by the tail, you don't. So that we might rule with you. For I think God has exhibited us on a, as apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death. Remember, he said, imitate me. Y'all are living your best life now. I feel like I'm a man sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. Wait, the Corinthians, they, they valued wisdom and philosophy, rhetoric. Fools? That's a weird path, Paul. But you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You're held in honor, but we in disrepute. You're seeing plot twist after plot twist. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor working with our own hands, which he was saying like, hey, I'm doing this menial, manual labor in the ancient Near East. He, that would have been like, I'm low. I went low here. I'm an apostle and I'm working with my hands, putting together tents. 
It was a humble statement. When reviled, plot twist, we bless. When persecuted, plot twist, we endure. When slandered, plot twist, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. He's like, my, my life's a plot twist. I'm living for the purpose of Christ, and so I'm not rich or held in high regard. I'm like a man sentenced to death, but it's a plot twist for Christ. When you walked in, you got one of these, right? A twist tie? Now you're gonna find out why. So, a twist tie, by nature, is meant to twist. It is an object that is used to bring things together and keep them from decay. Think about a bag of bread. It's gonna bring together and keep it from spoiling or decay. And nobody in their right mind you walk into their kitchen, and they're like, <laughs> hey, welcome. Have you seen my twist tie? It's never been bent. In fact, I got a little trophy stand for it. It's straight, huh? I don't use it. It's just there so that everybody can see my perfect little twist tie. Because why, why would I wanna change it or bend it? It's perfect right there, it's pristine. No one has ever said that. You just grab it and you're like, I need that, I gotta use it. And every single day, every single day, the Lord is handing you a twist tie and saying, I want you to use your life today to bring people together and keep them from decay, to tell them about Jesus, to share Jesus with them. I want you to live for the purpose of Christ by the twist, the plot twists of Christ. Don't remain all straight and perfect. I want your life to be shaped to reach others who are lost, to keep them from decay, because they're dying. But we take our little twist tie of life, and you're like, nope, nope, nope. Nothing bother my day. I got my agenda, I got my to-do list, I got my Outlook calendar. I, no, I don't have time for that interruption. Actually, I don't have room for that meeting because I've already scheduled, so no, I can't take that divine interruption. I can't, I can screen that phone call. And no, I can't actually help you with that um, financial difficulty. And I know you actually look like you're having a horrible day, but I'm not gonna stop and pray with you because I got, I got things that I have to do and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bend or twist my life and we seek to preserve it, and we lose it. And Jesus says, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Your life is to be full of plot twists, and instead, I think we live often, I know I do, with plot misses instead of plot twists. Every movie and every book that you've ever enjoyed is enjoyable and awesome and intriguing because of the plot twists. Nobody opens a book and is like, I know exactly what's gonna happen. This is so predictable, I love it. Instead, it's like, you call it a page turner or a mind bender, if it's a movie, a psychological thriller, like, oh my goodness. And you're telling everybody about it or you wanna see it again because you're like, oh, now that I know that that's happening, I gotta rewatch it. I can't believe that's what was going on. Because of the plot twist, that's what draws us in. That's what makes it unique and interesting and set apart from everything else. And yet we don't live our life as a plot twist and instead as a plot miss. Paul says all these examples, when reviled we bless, when persecuted we endure. He's saying all of it's a plot twist, but we waste our life by trying to play it safe and keep this thing straight when the Lord has entrusted it to us otherwise. And so you gotta make a choice. 
how you're gonna use your day and how you're gonna use this from God, every providential opportunity. Here's some plot twists that happened in my life by others. I'm at an AA meeting, December 27th, 2005, Alcoholics Anonymous, very first time I've been there, and I'm like, this is worthless. What am I gonna do, sit around in a circle and tell old war stories about drinking? Like, I'm out of here. I've got a problem, but this ain't helping. I'm about to walk out, and this guy steps in front of me. He's like, hey, if you're gonna do this, you're gonna need some help. Take down my cell phone number. Let's start calling each other every single day. And Charlie, who was the CEO of a company, he's got some stuff going on. He was like, I'm gonna plot twist my life for you, John. I, I had something to do. I could have gone home to my wife, but I'm gonna stay and I'm gonna talk to you. In fact, I'm gonna talk to you every day for three months. Three months later, I'm sitting at dinner at my parents' house and a neighbor comes over, Chris Lovacek. He works for a, a ministry. He's like, hey, we're going on a mission trip. Would you wanna come with us? And, and in my mind, I'm like, Dude, I'm, I'm like barely three months sober. Do you know the liability if I go rogue on your mission trip? Like, are you kidding me? But he's like, man, I see somebody in need. Everybody else on that trip had been long discipled. They knew them well. Here I am, a recovering drunk. And he's like, you wanna come with us? Plot twist, for my sake. I moved down here to Dallas. Somebody at Watermark, at this church, they're sitting in church, I'm in Missouri, coming to seminary. I'm about to pack up and move everything. And he goes, Sam Barrett, he, he lives in Houston now. He, he texts me and he says, hey, the spirit just put on my heart that I am to let you live with me rent and bill free until you're done with seminary or until I get married. <laughs> I was like, you aren't dating anybody, are you? <laughs> so I lived with him for two years until he met his bride, Susan. And then I got the boot. <laughs> but then David and Missy Williams, who are members here at Watermark, I wasn't even going to this church. I was part of another church. They were like, hey, they were pregnant, but they had an open room. Plot twist. You know what, John? Why don't you come live with us? Finish out your last year of seminaries. You date Laura. We're gonna, we're gonna take you in. They plot twisted, stewarded their life. They could have kept it straight, but they're like, nope. We see a providential person in our path, like that little boy who was lost, and we're gonna stop, and we're gonna change. Here's, here's just a couple from this last week. So, People, you've heard me talk about my house. People were coming over to work on our house. Shocker. And uh, they come in, and I'm already kind of late to get into the office, but I'm like, would y'all like some coffee? And you can see the like hesitancy there where they're like, uh, is that okay? Like, we're supposed to be here working. I'm like, do you want some coffee? I think that's a yes, because you hesitated. Let me, let me brew another pot. So I make coffee, I'm like, you want, you want sugar and cream with that? They're like, uh, sure, and all of a sudden, they're not working and I'm serving. But it was a plot twist because I say, hey, and I don't share this because I'm like awesome and batting a thousand. I could tell you many more examples of when I, when I like kept my little twist tie straight instead of twisting it for Christ. But I said, hey, um, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I used to be a drunk. They're like, you? Did you have your family then? I was like, no, I was living on a couch and suicidal, but Jesus, saved me, changed me. They're like, really? I'm like, yes. He'll do that for anyone, for any struggle. And so whether it's porn or sexual sin or an eating disorder or anxiety, whatever it is that you're struggling with, he will do that for you. And she said, you mean, you mean really that Jesus for whatever struggle, any struggle? And I'm like, yes. 
And she says, well, my uncle has a real problem. And so I get to share a resource with them, invite them to church, and Spanish speakers uh, originally. And so I was like, hey, we have a Spanish-speaking service every Sunday at 11 o'clock, Watermark in Espanol. Pulled it up on the phone. I, I, they may be here today, but they said they were gonna come. Another one, I was at a gas station. This guy gets out of his car with a wad of $1 bills. I'm like on the phone getting gas, and he gets out of this like beater but it has, a, it has a paper license plate, you know, like he just came from the dealership, meaning he had to buy a, a not great car and he's got a wad of, of like crumpled singles. And I'm like, hey, hey, let me get your gas because I'm on the phone. He's like, what? I'm like, put your money away, let me get your gas. He's like, he thinks it's like some kind of scheme. Like, what are you, 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 you stole someone's credit cards and then you're trying to get my cash. Like, you're, you're ultra bad. And I'm like, I'm like, hang on, let me call you back. Hey, uh, fill it up. Like, gas is crazy. He had on a uh, UPS shirt, and I'm like, look, Amazon, you guys are saving my life. Let me buy you a tank of gas. And uh, he's like, okay. And I'm like, can I tell you why I'm doing this? He's like, of course. I was like, it's Jesus. I was a wretch, man. He saved me. Totally changed my life. And so now I get to live to tell those about him and how he can help them. And have you ever heard about Jesus? And he's like, we just start talking, and then he was like, hey, I actually gotta go. I was like, oh, because I'm being like, you know, talking to this guy about Jesus, and he's like, he's like I, gotta go, I gotta go start my other job. I just worked in the Amazon warehouse all night, and now I'm a driver for a hospital. And everywhere, I mean, I, was, I needed to get into work and like start my day, but, but the Lord was like, no, I need, I need you to twist. I, there's a plot twist here. If you'll take it, if you'll not keep so straight with your agenda, I need you to plot twist. On Friday, we were at a restaurant, me and Mickey, one of our elders, having lunch. Girl drops out the food. She didn't look like she was having a super awesome day, just like demeanor. Um, but Mickey was talking, and so I'm watching her walk away. And, 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 but Mickey's talking, I don't want to interrupt, and I'm watching her walk away. And in my heart, I'm like, it, it was like, say something, say something, say something. And at this point, she's from me to like those lights. And I go, hey! <laughs> like, yes? I'm like, what's your name? <laughs> I'm sure she's like, I saw your wedding ring, dirtbag. And she's like, says her name, starts walking over slowly. I was like, hey, we always pray before the meal. Is there any way that we could pray for you? And she went from like face of having not an awesome day to eyes full of tears and shared something really, really hard that she had been walking through. And it's like, I gotta sit down. And because of that plot twist, now we are three people sitting together, praying with her. Mickey's sharing the hope of Jesus with her about how much God loves her. And, and she said, she may actually be here today. You might actually be here now if you are. God loves you so much. And he is at work, sister, in your life. Uh, but the question is, will you remain straight or will you plot twist for Christ? And some of them, there will be opportunities that God lays before you. Like, will you make your life a plot twist for the sake of this person who is lost and wandering and subject to decay? Will you use your life, step out of bounds, quit being so predictable, and let me lead you for all who are children of God. <clears throat> Sorry, allergies are led by the Spirit of God. <laughs> so let's do campouts, I'm dying. Uh, Will you step out of line and be led by the Spirit instead of your logic? 
put away your to-do list and look for God because he's got opportunities every single day. And I think I'm afraid that we're gonna show up to heaven and we're gonna have a bunch of straight gold twist ties. It's like, I love you. Or will we show up with just some mangled, twisted up ones of like, I'll let you lead me. There were plot twists for the purpose of Christ throughout my life. This past week, uh, Laura and I got news. So sometimes God will use you to make a plot twist and sometimes God will entrust a plot twist to you. And the plot twist that God entrusted to us this week is um, she did one of her scans post breast cancer and it showed some early indicators of what may be the cancer returning. It's the same early indicators that were there before and so plot twist. But my dear bride, Laura was like, hey, you know what? Either way, if this is cancer or maybe it's just like something else, but either way, it's Jesus and he'll be glorified. Like we're gonna follow him and he'll provide. And so all that the Lord entrusts to you, let it be plot twists for Christ and he will be glorified. And then thirdly, so if you're living for the purpose of Christ, by the plot twists of Christ. Oh, hang on, I forgot about something. There's a reason why it's gold. It's gold. I, I specifically wanted gold twist ties because as these are twisted up, it says in that verse, it says that each will receive his commendation, commendation, his reward, praise, at the coming of Christ, when the Lord reveals with his light the purposes of the heart, that as we steward our lives, faithful stewards, there is a reward one day as we live for the glory of Christ. And I know in that day, in case you're like, wait, I'm, I'm not living for rewards, I'm living for Christ, that as it says in Revelation, the elders take their crowns, cast them before the Lord. And in the words of Psalm 115:1, not to us, not to us, but to you be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Live for the purpose of Christ, by the plot twists of Christ, in the power of Christ. See, the Pharisees were great at doing religious activity. They tithed, they prayed, they did all their things. It wasn't by the power of Christ. It was empty, dead religion. And so, as you live for the purpose of Christ, by the plot twist of Christ, it's got to be by the power of Christ, or it also will be dead. Paul says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. There he is. You be a faithful steward too. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them. There you have orthodoxy as I teach them and orthopraxy, my ways in Christ as I live them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you because they were the best life now people. Like we're rich, we're reigning. And Paul's like, you're wrong. The path of the Savior is suffering and to lay down your life for others. That's the bullseye is love. Love God, love others. Not serve self, serve them. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come soon if it's the Lord's will, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with a spirit of gentleness? 
Paul talks about how he's their father. My kids have many different influences in their lives. You know, my, my four-year-old, he's got preschool teachers and neighborhood parents and soccer coaches and all the different influences that he has. But he's only got one father. And so recently, I was putting Judd to bed and he asked me, will I go to heaven or hell when I die? Now, if I had to guess, I think out of all the influences that Judd has, some of them might have been like, no, Judd, you're not gonna go to hell. You're a good little boy. I'm like, no, if he doesn't trust in Jesus, he's straight up going to hell. Or they might have said, Judd, no, no, everybody goes to heaven. All the people on the earth are God's children. No, some are children of wrath and those who trust in Jesus are children of the Father. Or they might have said, Judd, Judd, why would you even worry about such a thing as a little boy? You're good, don't worry about it. Me as the father, I'm sitting there on his bed and he asks this. I was like, well, Judd, it all depends. It all depends what you believe about Jesus. So if you trust in Jesus, you'll go to heaven. And if you don't, then you will go to hell. Have a good night. <laughs> well, <you'll... laughs> I said, Judd, Jesus died for your sins and rose again. He's not just a man, he's God in flesh. He rose again that whoever believes in him if you trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, he is Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He didn't even respond to me. He squinted his eyes as hard as he can and goes, Jesus, take the sin out of me. And dude, I was like, thank you, Lord. And I'm gonna keep watering and planting that seed and all of us together as we raise up each other in Christ because it's all his power, it's not of talk. So his, I, he's got one father, so I'm gonna shoot him straight. And the father, the parents for us, the parenting that we are to be under, because right now there's so much subjective, cultural spirituality. The parenting that we are to be under is the church, Christ, and the canon of scripture. The parenting that we are to be under, despite all the noise and like whack heterodoxy that's out there, is that we are to be under Christ, his church, which is his body, in the canon of scripture. These are our spiritual parents. And then he says of talk or of power. Of talk or of power. He's like, hey, there's a lot of people in Corinth that are talking the talk, but you will know by the power that you see in their life. Gospel transforms life. Um, when I buy things, I buy in bulk, not because I'm a prepper, but because I hate running out of stuff. And so if I buy deodorant, I buy 10. If I buy toothpaste, I buy five. If I buy bread, I've got like a freezer full of it because I just hate running out of it. So we have bread on hand is my point. We've got a lot of bread and I don't mean bread, I mean edible bread. <laughs> and for breakfast one morning, I'm talking to my kids, I'm like, hey, kids, y'all want cereal, waffles or toast? And my eight-year-old's eyes got wide and he goes, toast? We have toast? I was like, yeah, we got toast. And he's like, I can't believe we have toast. Why didn't you tell me we had toast? I'm like, dude, watch this. Put it in the toaster, push the button. <laughs> like, we have bread, so we have toast. What are you talking about? I was like, I knew we had bread. I didn't know we had toast. I'm like, well, you put it in the toaster. <laughs> they have eaten toast for the last three months every day. <laughs> now I have to buy a lot more bread than I ever bought. The reason why is because the bread was applied to power and it transformed. 
The bread applied to the power of that appliance transformed it and made it a thing of all to my children and it will to the world as well. Not this that you know about Christ, but that you abide in him and make him known. That the world would be like, dude, you are much more than talk. I see it at work in your life. You're living for the purpose of God by the plot twist of Christ. I see his power in you. You're not just a, someone who's talking the talk, but like I see it. The power, it says in the scriptures, the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. That he has given you victory over sin, death, and Satan. It is anything but talk. It is a transformed life by the power applied. Jesus says, abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. There is power, supernatural power, and Paul spoke it. We're speaking it again as we would live it, as we apply the gospel, not just once and for all, but every single day as if you live for the purpose of Christ with your life. Don't waste it by playing it safe. And if you live for plot twists for Christ in, you cannot do it on your own, by the power of Christ, his power alone. That little boy that we found lost on Devil's Island, uh, one dad, Clayton Kendall, started looking on Google for his name, found his cell phone number, cell phone number connected with him. He's like, hey man, uh, we're good, we got your boy. There was like a mix up with transportation. He was supposed to be with the school. The other dad, Rebel Blackwell, another watermark guy, starts running the trails. Uh, they, they knew not to pick me, I'm out of shape. But Rebel starts running all the trails to find the school that he's with. All of us together are like, nothing's happening to this little boy. God put him in our path. He's good until he's reconciled to his father. The question is, will we as a church have the same longing, aching, desperation for any single person that is lost, that we would work together, the body in Christ, working in concert together, plot twisting our lives, that every single person would be reconciled to the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we once were lost. We were the little boy separated from you in our sin, sitting on our island of sin, and you came for us. You sent your servants to come and share the gospel with us, not just that we would be saved, but so also we could live now for the purpose of Christ and not have a straight life of our agenda, but that we would have a life full of plot twists for Christ. And that, Lord, it would all be done by your power. Not by Christian one-upmanship, not by religious routine that is dead and empty, but that as we surrender to you and walk with you, we would stop for those lost souls and they would come to know Jesus and be forever reconciled to the Father. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.